Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Well, it's the day after National Agriculture Day, so we're going to get some follow-up on some of the activities that were going on yesterday in our nation's capital. And we're going to talk about some other key issues, such as rural health care. Well, that's a growing challenge across the country. Accessibility and affordability when it comes to health care. We're going to talk with Maggie Elawani today, Government Affairs and Policy Vice President for the National Rural Health Association. Also joining us today to talk ag issues both in the U.S. and Canada, Sean Haney with Real Agriculture and get their take, his take on uh, the NAFTA talks and some issues really impacting agriculture in Canada with their transportation system. And we'll talk trade and farm bill with the CEO of the National Sorghum Producers. All that coming up on today's program. But first, we're going to our Snowy Nation's capital to try again to talk with Chris Clayton, Ag Policy Editor for DTN. Yesterday we had some phone problems. When you have such a good guest, you're not going to give up. So we're going to give it another shot today. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? Good. Glad to know the phone's working better. Uh, let's uh, talk about yesterday. At USDA, among the dignitaries, Vice President Pence, what was your takeaway from yesterday? Well, that was uh, you know, a big deal that the Vice President was there. It, it kind of basically, obviously, it elevated the Ag Day Foundation uh, with the event at USDA and him giving a uh, brief speech, basically uh, chanting U.S. productivity and uh, innovations that uh, our farmers have. So it, it, it obviously raised the bar a little bit, body uh, at this event. And then, uh, you know, really since then, though, I think we've had so much conversation over the last 20 practices going back to the same issues, um, a lot of concern about what's going on in the trade world, and then the RFS as well, and those issues just continue to resonate. And then hopefully it looks like we're going to see something happening in the next 24 or 48 hours on uh, Section 199A issues. I'll say hopefully, I, I guess, depending on where you fall on that, I should say, because there are a lot of grumbling over the fact that that 199A could be taken away from them or won't be as beneficial. Chris, I was thinking about this this morning. We heard the speeches yesterday and we heard the the, the, the things you wanted to hear from Vice President Pence and Secretary Purdue and others and, and even members of Congress. But now, um, okay, we had Ag Day, that was great, but now we need actions to back up those words, and we need to see progress on trade. We need to see progress on the Farm Bill. We need to see uh, progress on the RFS and the tax issue. Uh, all the speeches aside, we need action, right? Yeah, and, you know, I don't see much on the horizon when it comes to changing the debate on trade at the moment. It's a risk. We're going to see what happens if the president moves his, uh, up to $60 billion in tariffs on uh, Chinese products. And then what becomes the uh, retaliation on that? Zippy Duval, the president of the Bureau, I spoke with him. He's very concerned about what happens there, obviously. So, you know, there's no new breakthrough in trade demand on the horizon for the American farmer, but there are a lot of risks in terms of uh, quick retaliation that, that they could face. I know you're at, a, at an event right now put on by AgriPulse, have quite a panel up there discussing trade and other and other issues. Uh, a lot of discussion about China, and if we're going to get tougher on China, what the potential retaliation will be back on U.S. agriculture. What are you hearing uh, said there at that event? Well, the Real big concern is on soybeans, obviously. Uh, you know, roughly two-thirds of our ag trade with China is soybeans, about $14 billion or so um, worth of value. This is all coming as Brazil's harvest is going on. So as we're looking to do this, it's not, you know, hard to imagine that uh, 
you just start seeing a lot more ships moving uh, to South America versus North America and making some buys right now. Um, I think what analysts will be watching for is to see whether we see any cancellations of orders at USDA, things of that nature that uh, make a change. Uh, but it's still very early how China reacts. If this stuff comes down the line uh, on these tariffs, we don't know. But because it's such a it's such a moving issue right now at the moment, but a lot of nervousness, uh, obviously. Chris, what are you picking up uh, as you talk with uh, ag leaders, you talk with farmers around the country about support for uh, President Trump and the administration and his policy so far? Uh, I know AgriPulse has done a poll on this. It kind of reflects what I've been hearing. Uh, still support, but nervousness and maybe uh uh, more concern growing all the time, wanting to see some more positive results on some of these issues that impact uh, farmers and ranchers. Yeah, I had an interesting conversation with uh, a couple of farmers yesterday uh, about that very point. Yeah, uh, of course, right now we haven't seen anything really happen in agriculture that really changes things dramatically on price, except perhaps maybe in dairy we're hearing more and more about the crisis theory that is going on. And I don't think that's obviously directly related to anything that involves the president, but there certainly is a, a price concern there. What happens, though, if because of these trade situations uh, or changes in adjustments, suddenly as we move into the spring and summer, we start seeing a price collapse? I think that's when you would actually see a real change of, uh, of support for the president is if you see a major price change. Right now, I, I don't think, you know, there's a lot of nervousness, a lot of certainty, um, but at the same time, prices right now are really the same as they were a year ago, as the same as they were two years ago. So it's not like that anything that the president or the Trump administration has done has really brought down a collapse in the ag economy at the moment. So I, I think the support still remains uh, for the president where it is. Maybe there's a little bit of adjustment each way. People don't like, uh, you know, his uh, nature, his attitude on things. But as far as overall in the ag economy, I, I don't think that you're really seeing a huge shift away from President Trump and rural America. I think that's a good point. That's probably a good way to sum it up. We've not seen any uh, real collapse or downturn from where we were when he was elected. Uh, I guess the anxiousness comes from we haven't seen the the improvement or the uptick uh, that many thought we might see and hopefully will still see. But uh, as you're right, it's just kind of an anxiousness. When is that going to happen, if it's going to happen at all? So a uh, good, good summary there. All right, Chris, we'll let you get back to Yeah, we haven't seen the uptick. That's right. All right, we'll let you get back to the event there. Thanks, Chris, for checking in. Uh, we appreciate it. Chris Clayton, Ag Policy Editor for DTN in Washington, D.C., covering Ag Day activities yesterday at a big AgriPulse event there in our nation's capital uh, today. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about rural health care, huge issue, accessibility, affordability, two big issues. Where do we stand in rural America? Maggie Elowani with the National Rural Health Association will join us next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. My pillow now offers 50% off their four-pack special. That's two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. 
2011. 50% off MyPillow's four-pack special. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen, that's a given. Responsive nitrogen, that's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back. Well, as we all know, there's quite a debate across the country about health care and um, whether it's Obamacare or the changes that have been made in Obamacare and uh, moving on from that. When you get into rural America especially, there's a great challenge. And I don't have to tell you this, uh, those of you living in rural America, uh, affordability is a challenge accessibility in many places is a growing challenge. I'm going to talk about that topic today with Maggie Elawani. She's Government Affairs and Policy Vice President for the National Rural Health Association. Maggie, thanks for joining us. Good to talk to you again. Oh, Mike, good to be here again. Thank you so much for the invitation. I guess especially in rural America, uh, we're not seeing, are we, much improvement when it comes to accessibility and affordability? These are still huge issues in rural America. Well, I wish we could, I could say we were seeing progress, but we're actually not. Um, it, it really comes down to those two items, access and affordability. And what we still find ourselves in the midst of, Mike, is a rural hospital closure crisis. It really has been escalating since the Affordable Care Act was signed in, into law. Um, and last year, we actually saw 41% of rural hospitals operated at a financial loss. One year later, 44% of hospitals operate at a financial loss. What we're worried about is we really think that about a third of, of hospitals out there are really um, uh, on the brink of closure, could potentially close, and it's due to a whole host of things. On top of that, what we see is, is the challenges of trying to provide health care for rural Americans um, getting tougher. Unfortunately, rural Americans have higher percentages of the five highest chronic disease and then when you look at the horrors of the opioid crisis it's really embedding itself so deeply in rural america tragically so um, the challenges are great i do see um, some optimism some hope we really have caught the ear you know thanks to a lot of grassroots efforts in rural america to really capture the ear of both congress and the administration um, Congress is looking at new payment models or, or trying to help, help hospitals keep their doors open to provide that critical care uh, to rural Americans. They're also looking at providing some targeted um, funding for the opioid crisis to go into rural America. 
the administration, I think, is trying to ease a lot of regulatory burdens to just, you know, make the practice of medicine a little easier in rural America when we know that it's just plagued with workforce shortages. We've got 20% of the population scattered over 95% of the land mass, yet you only have 9% of the physicians practicing in rural America. So the challenges continue, but I don't want to sound all doom and gloom. We've got to unite together and really fight fight to, to help out the folks in rural America because, as I said, they're, they really need it right now. So there are some things underway to hopefully help, but I want to go back to the number. Did I hear you correctly? 44% of rural hospitals are operating at a financial loss? Yes. The only way wow. they're staying afloat is because they've got support of maybe a local uh, you know, city bond or county bond or, or being able you know, to survive with the community. But if you just looked at what they were getting reimbursed from Medicaid, Medicare, private insurers, they're actually operating at a financial loss. So that's, you know, it, it is really tough out there. And every hospital in rural America that closes, that means someone has to go a, a further distance, go farther to get to the health care that uh, they need. It sure does. Uh, one of the most recent closures was in western Virginia. It went from EMS transport times when the hospital closed. Before it closed, it was 30 minutes. Now it is two to three hours. Um, so you certainly lose that critical golden hour, and, and we know that we're losing a lot of patients tragically out there. I think a lot of, of uh, folks who live in urban and suburban areas don't realize how critical a hospital is as the hub of the community as well. It's often the largest or second largest employer. Um, the physicians and other medical staff are often hospital-based, meaning that if the hospital closes, the doctors often leave, the nurses leave, the pharmacists leave. We're really seeing these, these medical deserts forming across um, different parts of, of rural America. And, you know, um, there was a, a news, news reporter went to a small town in rural Georgia that lost its hospital two years ago. She went back to that town a couple of months ago and found um, after the hospital had closed, the grocery store in town closed. The only bank in the community closed. Other businesses up and down Main Street had shuttered their doors. So we're not only fighting for the, the, um, the life and the health of rural patients, we're fighting for the life and health, the economic health of these rural communities. People need to be able to access care. And you're right, it absolutely has to be affordable. Yeah, it's all tied together as rural communities try to attract people to come and, and live in their communities and in their areas. They're looking at things like hospitals and schools and things like that if people are going to come and live there. We're talking with Maggie Elawani, Government Affairs and Policy Vice President for the National Rural Health Association. And Maggie, even trying to get doctors to come and work in some of these areas is a, is a difficulty. It is challenging, and there's some, some federal programs that try to um, attract um, physicians to rural communities. There's things like the National Health Service Corps that'll offer some scholarship or loan forgiveness programs if a physician serves in an underserved area, um, hopefully a rural area. Um, and those those programs can work, but far too often what we see is is once the physician fulfills their commitment, they leave the community. What we find to be the most effective is really to grow your own. What we really need to do is is entice kids at a young age, um, you know, middle school, to get them interested in healthcare, get them interested in science and math, and and try to um, have them understand the health needs of their community. You know how close knit rural communities are. We need the hospital to interact with the school, to interact with the local businesses, to interact with the churches. Um, that's how we believe if we have that kind of partnership, we can attract more individuals from the area to go into health care, but also just overall improve the population health of the community as well. So we kind of need this kind of all hands on deck in rural America to really, really fight to save health care. Maggie, you mentioned earlier the opioid crisis, and we know that uh, several ag groups have uh, started working to uh, draw more attention to this and uh, and to seek uh, help and assistance. Is this crisis across the country, is this 
putting an even greater burden on this health care system that we're describing as already uh, uh, in financial trouble in many places? Is this exasperating that, that issue well, even more? You're absolutely right, Mike. It is. Obviously, we have a shortage of just physicians, but there's certainly a shortage of specialists to, to treat people with the opioid ad- epidemic. And we're finding issues that there just aren't a lot of providers knowledgeable to cope with. You know, perhaps, sadly, babies born um, from mothers who were addicted who need to be to have specialized treatment. All these things are very difficult to do in rural America. And what we find is we really do need an investment from the federal government to provide proper reimbursement and training to get folks in these rural communities. So that's really... The whole goal is, is you know how, you know, Congress kind of looks to see what the next shiny object is, and unfortunately sometimes they throw money at, at a thing, but maybe not figure out exactly how to, to solve the problem. We have to make sure this opioid crisis isn't one of those things. The good news is, is that we do have Congress's attention. We do have the administration's attention. They want to do something. We have to make sure that, that what they do really makes sense. Um, one of the issues that we're fighting for is they sort of have this overall generalized funding bill for sending money to the states. But what we're worried about is that's going to go to the most heavily populated states. They're going to get the bulk of the funding and maybe not hit some of the areas where the problem has been so devastating, areas of Appalachia, um, certain rural communities in the Midwest. So what we need to make sure is that funding uh, proportionally goes uh, to where it's needed. And in rural America, they have a 45% higher rate of, of drug overdose deaths, and that's simply because of that access issue, again, to get the necessary treatment when somebody sadly does overdose. So this is, again, one of those, those issues where we need the community to rally around to help help treat the problem, you know, involve the, the health care facilities, involve the faith-based communities, and get businesses. And, you know, if, I think if we work together and we help the federal government understand where the money needs to be spent, we can make wise decisions in trying to tackle this tough problem. Critical issues for sure. Maggie, thank you for the update, and uh, we'll stay in touch with you and, and keep people updated on the efforts to address these issues. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Bye-bye. Maggie Elawani, Government Affairs and Policy Vice President for the National Rural Health Association. Coming up next, Sean Haney from Real Agriculture. We're going to discuss NAFTA and other key issues facing the U.S. and Canada. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield. The hammer of head and leaf diseases. The number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosoro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosoro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352-1402. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Grain and soybean futures mixed on this Wednesday. USDA reporting another private corn export sale. This time, 138,000 metric tons to South Korea for 2017-18. Analysts expect to see another week of strong corn sales as a result. Meanwhile, China said to be preparing to hit U.S. agricultural goods with tariffs. That, according to The Wall Street Journal, among the items on the list for targeting are soybeans, live hogs, and sorghum. Those plans could yet change, though. In soybean futures, we are trending three to six cents higher, an hour into 
The trading day on Wednesday, May beans stabilizing around 1018 and a half on the upside. Minor resistance lies at 1038 and a quarter to 1040. An hour in, May soybeans at 1034 and a half, up six and a quarter. Corn futures, fractional changes. The near-term trend in corn, solidly bearish. Following the May contracts, recent tumble below its 10-day, 20-day, 40-day moving averages. In the wheats, we are trending 3 to 6 cents lower in Chicago and Kansas City. Minneapolis spring wheat trending 3 to 4.5 cents lower. For livestock at the Merck, cattle futures on this Wednesday trading session setting up with minus signs, 35 to 60 cents lower. Meanwhile, nearby feeder cattle are 20 to 35 cents higher. Cash cattle trade got underway a little bit early this week. Live deals at 125 to 126 in Texas and in Kansas. That would be generally a dollar or two lower compared to a week ago. Lean hogs, April up 20 cents, 63.45. The Dow down 50 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. We talk ag issues in this country and Canada with our good friend Sean Haney, host of Real Agriculture. You hear him on Sirius XM. Sean, how are you? I'm doing great this morning, Mike. Great to chat with you. Let's talk. Well, first of all, you know, we talk a lot about our infrastructure needs here in the U.S. We are not alone. You're facing some challenges in Canada, right? Yeah, you know we are, and and for similar reasons, you know we we've, we're we're trying to get grain out of inland and move it out to the coast. Um, and you know, in can recently Canada signed a Trans-Pacific Partnership. All of that product has to go out of uh, the Van- the port of Vancouver, and there's this thing called the Rocky Mountains in the middle that are really a bit of an obstacle. And railway is one of the only ways that we can transport a lot of the grain that is grown in the Western Canadian prairies. And uh, similar to some of your situation in the U.S., some of this infrastructure is, you know, it's kind of neglected. It has not received some of the investment it, it should have over the last you know, number of decades. And now we're in a bit of a bind because we've had a real, real cold, snowy winter, and the railways have really, really lacked execution in getting this grain to port. So where are you? We know the struggles here in this country. It's been an ongoing effort uh, to try to get something done on infrastructure. Hopefully we're getting closer. It remains to be seen. What about in Canada? Well, a lot of finger pointing, to be honest with you. We haven't even got to the point that you know we need to have a larger infrastructure spending on some of the track. But uh, what, we, what we've had is we've had a number, like this week is a good example. So they had an emergency ag committee meeting in, in Ottawa, our nation's capital. It was a four to five hour meeting, presentations from the railways, presentations from farm groups and elevator associations, and really, you know, n- nothing new out of it, just a lot of uh, the, some of the same rhetoric we've been, we've been hearing. What the government did ask uh, CP and CN, our two major railways, to provide was, you know, some plans on how they were going to deal with this grain backlog. You know, we, we've had a situation where, you know, three weeks ago, we were only getting like 17% of the orders filled by the railways. We have a provinces just north of North Dakota, Manitoba, that didn't even get a car in a week. So this has been a really, really serious situation. It's impacting farmers' cash flows. Those, those, those railways did supply some of their plans, and, uh, you know, nothing really new. Those are some things that those railways should have been doing from the very, very beginning. 
And uh, yesterday, uh, iPolitics had an interview with Mark Garneau, our transport minister in Canada, and he said that he's happy and satisfied with uh, some of the things the railways are doing. Well, that did not sit very well with some, some of the farming community, and uh, the finger-pointing just kind of continues. Well, many U.S. producers can relate. Uh, we've had some backups at, at different times uh, on the rail system, and we know uh, the hardships that causes. So hopefully you can get some things addressed up there. We're still trying to get a lot of things addressed here in this country, not only on infrastructure, but certainly on trade. Sean, I gave up a long time ago trying to figure out the uh, the the strategy of the administration on, on negotiating trade. Uh, what, how is it being perceived? What what is the view of the NAFTA talk so far in Canada? Well, yeah, I kind of gave up too. This has been, we've had so many ebbs and flows, and we can go from where it looks like we've got the darkest point in the talks, where there's no hope, there's going to be withdrawal. Somebody is going to toss their, you know, their hands up and say, I quit. And then we have what happened last night, the Global Mail reporting in Canada that Robert Lighthizer at the USTR has, has uh, decided that they're going to quit on this really, really contentious uh, demand of the auto country of origin, a uh, 50% being from the U.S. So that's a major step. That, that's been the major hang-up here, Mike. And, and the fact that the, the U.S. administration and, and Robert Lighthizer are deciding to fold on one of their biggest, biggest demands it kind of makes me wonder where we're exactly going and what is their strategy. What did Canada give up to maybe get them to provide the concession? I couldn't imagine the USTR conceding on that point and getting nothing. So it, it, today in Canada, everybody seems really, really hopeful. Now that's today. With these ebbs and flows, I'm sure something will happen tomorrow where we will go back to being a little bit more negative. But you know, I think one of the things is about dealing with this U.S. administration is that the strategy is, is fairly transparent. There is a, a lot of very stiff demands. There's a lot of very stiff threats. And Canada knows that. And Canada has to deal with some of that bluster, but kind of stay at the table and make sure that uh, these negotiations stay on point. Because, listen, great deal for all three countries. New USDA data came out yesterday. I saw a report talking about Canada is by far the largest export market for U.S. finished goods. Uh, U.S. ag finished goods. So this is a deal that all three countries want. Yeah, the strategy seems to be talk very loud, very tough, push everything right to the brink of crisis, and then maybe pull back and, oh, maybe we won't do that after all. So I don't, a lot, like you said, a lot of ebb and, and flow in this. Now, we still haven't really got to dairy, and from an ag perspective, this was the biggie all along. Uh, any, uh, you asked me this on your show yesterday, any, any uh, sign of movement on the U.S. dairy part? Uh, what about Canada? Any uh, sign of movement there? Uh, feet firmly planted in concrete is the way I would sort of describe it. Mm. Um, you know, I don't, at this point, no. Now, are they going to have to budge? I think that is probably a reality that a lot of dairy producers in Canada realize. There, there's frustration, though, because, as I said to you yesterday, Mike, the U.S. was granted mark, increased market access into Canada through the TPP agreement, which the U.S. voluntarily left. And so they gave up 3.25% market access into Canada. Australia and New Zealand have, are quickly going to eat that up and say thank you, United States. And so that's really kind of the Canadian position still at this point. Now, it, are they going, is Canada going to be able to get a, na, a new NAFTA deal without giving up any dairy access? I think absolutely not. Uh, what we can expect, we saw this in the CETA agreement that Canada did with Europe and in the TPP deal uh, originally when the U.S. was still involved, dairy was one of those very, very last things. So I'm not sure we're going to, to hear here in the middle of the negotiations, we fix dairy. It could be something done at the 11th hour, those final minutes, and then we have to deal with some of the fallout afterwards. So would Canada ever sign off on something says you could, you'll never do something like the Class 7 pricing system again or something like that? Well, see, this is the confusing part. I, I've, done a, I've, I've done a lot of interviews over the last year asking this question. Can there, is there a separation between Class 7 pricing and, and uh, supply management? And the Dairy Farmers of Canada are quite firm in the fact that no, 
this is this is this can't be done. These these two things are forever hooked now. Some people disagree with that. Uh, I, one of the questions is is who is what is the real information? Is Canada actually dumping onto the world market? Because Canada says, hey, we're we're selling these proteins at the world price, and so how can we be accused of of dumping? and sewering the price if we're actually selling at the world price. The U.S. dairy officials, they feel very differently. They feel Canada is underselling under the world price. So similar to our railway situation, there's a lot of finger pointing. One of the, one of the comments I've heard a number of times from different Canadian dairymen is, should instead of that Class 7 pricing being at the world price, should it have been at a price that the uh, more of a U.S. price. Now, I, I won't profess to be an expert in some of this dairy pricing, but I have heard that comment. Maybe that's a change that's possible. Somehow on all this, we got to get to a point where all three countries can go back and and sell the, the agreement to, to their people and say, we didn't get everything, but we did get something. It, it's better. That, that still seems to be the elusive goal here, and I, I've said all along, I, I, I don't know how you bring anything back and get it passed in our Congress right now, but, I mean, those are challenges really in all three countries. Uh, for sure, and, you know, you look at how the farm bill in the U.S. has turned into this partisan fight. Just imagine NAFTA talks. Hmm. Same, thing, same thing here. Well, I think one of the things that Mexico and Canada have to really deal with is, okay, so we come to an agreement, we have to come home and convince our people that we did not compromise and bow to the stiff, hard negotiations of President Trump. Uh, I, I actually read a really good story in the Washington Post a couple of weeks ago where it talked about how this is exactly why trade talks usually happen behind closed doors, where there isn't a lot of leaks, because countries know that there's, there's some give and take in order to get these deals done, and they don't necessarily want that to be, become a domestic political issues back home. These talks seem like they're completely in the open, and uh, no bigger driver of that than President Trump. He, you know, he, he's routinely tweeting about some of the things that they're going to do or not going to do, and so that makes it that really makes it tough, especially when we have a Mexican election this July. That that's a huge factor. Uh, U.S. midterms, of course, in the fall, but you know it's going to be tough for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Canadian team to come home, and if they do compromise, especially on dairy, especially on dairy. There's going to be a lot of attacks that they did not right. support Canadian dairy farmers. Yeah, that's the trouble with uh, negotiating in public so much. I think it does make it tougher. Real quick, i got a minute left, Sean. Uh, what's the reaction to the tariff situation and uh, supposedly the carve-outs or the exemptions at, at the beginning for Canada? Does that help or hurt this? Well, it, the, the carve-out that Canada received definitely helps keep these talks rolling on NAFTA. Canada continues to stay or to say that, listen, that is steel. This other stuff is NAFTA. The two things are separate. Of course, they are somehow linked. You can't just separate them. Uh, we'll see if Canada can keep its carve out for an extended period of time with these NAFTA talks still going on. The, the, re the reaction to Canada being a national security set threat under Section 232 has come with a lot of laughs in Canada because uh, there's lot, not only Canadians, but there's some Americans that definitely think do not see Canada as a national security threat whatsoever. All right, Sean, thanks. We'll talk again soon. These issues are so important. It uh, seems like something changing every day, as you mentioned, ebbs and flows. We'll keep uh, in touch with you and, and maybe talk some baseball next time as well, right? Hey, opening day is a week away, Mike. Looking forward right. to it. All right. Good luck uh, to your Blue Jays. <laughs> They're going to need it. <laughs> Sean Haney with Real Agriculture. Coming up next, we're going to talk with the CEO of the National Sorghum Producers. Tim Lust joins us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Do you need a car? Been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit, low credit, no credit, bankruptcy, or divorce? Guess what? Today's your lucky day. Because now you can buy a car, truck, or SUV, just about any vehicle. It's true. Bad credit doesn't matter. No credit doesn't matter. Bankruptcy or divorce, it just doesn't matter. As a matter of fact, your job is your ticket to your new vehicle. 
We're Auto Credit Express, and we've helped thousands of people just like you. Antonio H. told us, great company, got me connected, and the day I went in, I drove off in the car I wanted. 100% worth your time. Need a car? Get started now and drive off as early as today. Just go to 11ignoremyscore.com right now. That's www.11ignoremyscore.com. Auto financing the easy way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. I live alone, so when I slipped and fell in the kitchen last month and couldn't get to a phone, that's when I knew I needed Life Alert. With just one press of this button, I'm connected to the Life Alert Center, where I can get the help I need, even when I cannot reach a phone. With Life Alert, I'm never alone. For a free Life Alert brochure, call 800-981-2126. That's 800-981-2126. Call now at 800-981-2126 to get a free brochure. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 800-352-1402. That's 800-352-1402. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her four-seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen, that's a given. Responsive nitrogen, that's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive your free DVD videos and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,250 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD videos and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Welcome back as we continue to check in with different groups about priorities for their members. Um, we're going to talk with sorghum growers now. We're CEO of the National Sorghum Producers is Tim Lust. He joins us now. Tim, 
Let's see, Farm Bill, RFS, NAFTA. What's the top issue, or is it all of the above for you? China. So <laughs> China right now, okay. Can't forget about our uh, uh, investigation that is going on uh, with China investigating U.S. sorghum. So that's that's kind of the top top priority. But as you mentioned, there's plenty of other topics to talk about too, as uh, as we're involved in farm bills and, and other items. So yeah, we. Certainly the sorghum, uh, the China issue for sorghum growers has been the key one now for a while. What's the latest on that? Well, the process continues, and so we're uh, uh, seriously engaged in the uh, response part of this and working hard to get all of our data together and information together related to the case and get that submitted uh, back to China. So that's kind of the... It's uh, kind of the work workload time uh, at this point where that all happens. Tim, for those that don't follow it closely, uh, what is this case that China is making against U.S. sorghum, and what is your response? Well, uh, on the 4th of February, uh, uh, Chinese government uh, initiated an investigation into both anti-dumping and countervailing duties uh, of U.S. sorghum, and um, certainly... Um, agriculture. Um, I think most of your listeners are aware uh, there's very, very serious trade discussions going on between our two governments and uh, certainly uh, lots of out, lots of items other than sorghum that are, are certainly being talked about and being done. This is certainly new for our industry. We've never, never been a part of a, a trade case uh, of any kind by any country. So uh, that's kind of where it's at, and uh, from the, the technical aspects of it, we uh, have to, to cooperate in terms of that and provide the appropriate paperwork uh, showing that our, our industry is not uh, dumping sorghum or illegally subsidizing our growers. Shows again the how complicated trade can be, and issues like this, uh, wow, they can really disrupt trade and cause hardship. No doubt about it. It uh, when you get in the middle of one of these cases, you kind of move from the theoretical to the actual, and you, you clearly understand uh, as you go through this uh, how how serious and how real it is. We're talking with Tim Luss, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers. Tim, I mentioned the RFS. Certainly, uh, that is an issue that you're watching closely uh, because ethanol production has become uh, a you know a bigger part of uh, your growers operations and so anything that would lessen demand potentially lessen demand is going to hurt absolutely and and you know i think a lot of sorghum is grown in, in rural areas where frankly logistics and, and infrastructure are a challenge to get it to a lot of our our export markets and and uh, biofuels industry and ethanol industry has just been tremendous for our growers in those areas and uh you know that is something that uh, these discussions going on, uh, both at the administrative level uh, as well as at the congressional level. Um, you know, there's a lot at stake here, and certainly, um, you know, RINs have uh, became the buzzword. Uh, a lot of people have probably learned a lot about RINs that they didn't know up to this point in time. But I, I think, you know, from our industry standpoint, and what we continue to push for is, is you know, let's let's look at systems and let's look at opportunities that grow this market. And uh, there's there's a way to solve that problem uh, without putting some other cap on there. There's a way to solve this that allows growth of the industry. And, and uh, you know, that's what we're focused on. We've seen how, how tremendous of a boost this has been for, for commodities, for rural America, uh, for many of our small communities. And so, Certainly, from a sorghum industry standpoint, uh, that continues to be our message and our push. Yeah, somewhere along the line, some people seem to have lost track of the purpose of the RFS was uh, to promote a domestic fuel industry and allow it to grow, and some people are trying to change that now. And uh, I keep coming back to this. I say they're not used to a policy actually working, and the RFS has worked like it was intended to do, and now people are trying to, to stop it or change it. Uh, Tim, what, what do those organ producers want to see in the farm bill? Well, I think, uh, you know, reliability and predictability, obviously, with the downturn in the farm economy overall, um, you know, items like financing become a lot more critical. And so making 
sure that uh, you know whatever farm program there is from a Title One standpoint, there's there's a way to bank and and have that where where they can have the access to credit that they need. Uh, certainly, from our industry standpoint, uh, we went very heavily into the PLC side the first time around, and and expect that uh, given the option here, even more growers will go in that direction. Um, from a conservation standpoint, uh, sorghum is one of those resource-conserving crops and works well in rotations, and so we're we're just working hard in the conservation title to make sure language along those lines is in there that, that frankly, is good for all crops uh, and uh, helps break pest cycles and, and all of those things. I think, uh, you know, as we look at some of the bigger-picture items, uh, we would love to do some other things. Uh, but money, obviously, is a real challenge in terms of uh, some of the fixes that, that I think all commodity groups know, you know, would, would make better farm policy. Uh, it's just a matter of how do we, how do we pay for those and, and what is possible. Yeah, we talked about this on the show yesterday. Trying to do more with less money is the challenge. It's very difficult. I mean, it's, it's you know, uh, there's a lot of good ideas out there of, of how things can be changed or tweaked. But when, when you get a CBO score back and, you know, it's, it's 5 or $10 billion more than what you have, well, it, it really limits the discussion. Tim, good to talk with you again. Good luck on getting this uh, straightened out with China, and uh, uh, we'll stay in touch on these other issues as well. Very important to sorghum producers. Thank you very much. Thank you. Tim Luss, CEO of the National Sorghum Producers. Uh, yeah, they're, they're still in that uh, back and forth with China. And it shows what happens when you get into these trade disputes, and that's the fear that we're going to get into even more of them and even more of them with China. Uh, really disruptive for agriculture, so we'll hopefully uh, see positive results here. But, wow, even if you get a, a positive resolution, it takes so much time to get there. Well, that's going to do it for today. Thanks to all of our guests for joining us. Thank you for being with us as well. Tomorrow we're going to have some livestock outlook for you from Chris Hurt from Purdue University. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day, everyone. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. The mighty Prosoro, king of fungicides. Its fast action and long residual make it the keeper of grain quality and yield, the hammer of head and leaf diseases, the number one reducer of scab. When your goal is greater wheat quality and higher yield, use Prosaro fungicide, and the crown of higher profit will be yours. Learn more at prosaro.us. Always read and follow label instructions. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network.